Welcome to the Five Smooth Stones podcast with Daniel Watts, the director of the EGM Institute. Thanks for joining us today. We've been in a little mini-series studying the Great Commission and children's ministry, and this week we are wrapping up our study. My wife's younger brother decided to come and visit us shortly after we were married. He was young, energetic, and impetuous. He had purchased a motorcycle and was going to drive down from the Central Valley in California to where we live south of Los Angeles. This was in the days before smartphones, Google Maps, and GPS. It was the dinosaur days of maps and Thomas guides for the elderly. However, those were no help on a motorcycle. We talked to him before he left, and he knew to get off on Culver. He drove for hours into the L.A. metropolitan area, and he got off the freeway when he saw the sign that said Culver. (laughs) He drove around on his motorcycle until he realized he was in a very, very bad area of L.A., He called us from a payphone with genuine fear in his voice, realizing he was probably not in our neighborhood. (laughs) We finally figured out where he was. It was not good. Talked him back onto the freeway, and he drove the additional 40 miles to our house. My concern today is that many children's ministry leaders have the wrong destination in mind, are in fact heading in the wrong direction. As we suggested in our first blog of this series, the Great Commission is not to evangelize, convert, reach, or even make Christians of boys and girls. You may balk at hearing me say that, but go back and read through our first blog. The Great Commission is to make disciples. This is the destination with important elements along the way. And it's to this important topic of making disciples that we turn in this final blog of our mini-series. Countless pages have been written over the centuries about discipleship, and my intent is not to try to review all that work and then apply it to children. Instead, using the framework of the Great Commission itself, I want to attempt to summarize the gospel teachings about discipleship. The term disciple is used 39 times, and 35 of them in the New Testament are in the Gospel accounts. And similarly, the term disciple is found 265 times, all but 24 are in the Gospels. As a starting point in this conversation of children as disciples, let me suggest that discipling children has three important aspects. First is learning from Jesus. When we're discipling children, we can draw from all that Jesus taught and then teach boys and girls to rely on Jesus for helping them understand the truth and how they should live. And thankfully, we have a written record of what Jesus taught. And in addition, his spirit helps boys and girls know who God is, God's perspective on human beings, his view of the problems in this world, including their own sin, and God's plan to remake our world, including us, and then the list goes on. But Jesus didn't only teach the truth, he also gave us guidelines for living. He shared practical instructions on how we should live, what we should do in various relationships, the best practices for handling money, how to serve and minister to others, and so much more. 
Finally, we also have a church community that can help children understand and see real-life examples of people doing what Jesus said, of people living out Jesus' teaching. Second is following Jesus. Closely related to learning from Jesus is following after him. After all, discipleship is not solely about knowledge. Genuine disciples put into practice the truth they learn, and that's the essence of following Jesus. Our Lord and Savior always lived and acted in complete harmony with everything he taught. What he said, he did. His actions lined up with what he taught perfectly. Boys and girls can choose to follow Jesus and then do things the way he does. Children can act with kindness, grace, and a servant's heart just as Jesus acted. And children can speak truthfully, respectfully, and patiently just as he spoke. Children really can learn to imitate him and more. And finally, the third thing is becoming like Jesus. Closely related to following Jesus is becoming like him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, and as we imitate Jesus, as we do things his way, think his way, act his way, talk his way, listen his way, etc., these Christ-like actions become habits, and soon we reflect Jesus more clearly, and we even become more like him. When children learn from Jesus and obey him, they're operating with the Spirit who transforms their heart and aligns their character to Christ. Each day we become more like Jesus, experiencing more of his peace, abiding presence, and the new life that he intends for us. Of course, children like us adults are not perfect, and that's why discipleship is a lifelong adventure. And let, me, let me share a scene from my own adventure, learning about our sinful nature. Our daughter's birth was an incredibly significant event for me. I'd wanted children for so many years, and at long last, the children's pastor, me, finally had his own child. Like most fathers, I invested myself heavily in trying to be a godly father. Looking back, I realized that the early part of my fathering years was an important season in my own discipleship process. I loved my daughter, yet I knew that doting on her could cause problems. So from the start, my wife and I were committed to being good disciplinarians. When our daughter was about two years old, I was driving her in my old car. It was a, an old Toyota, one of my favorite cars ever, and I kept it pretty pristine. You also need to know that in those days, the law required children to sit in the front seat in a forward-facing car seat. When we got underway, my sweet little girl kicked the glove compartment door. I told her not to do that again because she could break it. She looked right at me with absolute defiance in her eyes and kicked it again. And this time it did break. I was shocked to see my little sweet girl that, that look at her eyes. I also knew this was my first test and I resolved to meet it head on. I calmly explained that she should not kick the door again, and if she did, I would have to stop the car and, and swat her. Not for knocking the door, but for her defiance. With no hesitation whatsoever, she looked right at me and kicked the door again. I couldn't believe it. I pulled over into a parking lot, got out, walked around the car, took her out of her little car seat, and swatted her on her diaper. She had on this big, super heavy-duty diaper. I don't even know if she felt it, but she knew she was in trouble. <laughs> she had gotten the message. 
she started to cry a little bit. So I put her back in the car and I was almost traumatized by, well, I was traumatized by it myself. I walked around the car. I, I sat down in the car and it was horrible, but uh, it'd been really difficult, but I knew I had done the right thing as a father. When I looked over, she had little tears running down her cheek, but then I saw it. The defiant face now doubled down. I couldn't believe it. Sure enough, she kicked the door again. Deep in the heart of even the sweetest child is our fallen human nature. And this is part of this is the part of us that needs God's transforming work if we're to be more and more like Jesus. Discipleship is the name we give to the process of an individual being transformed into greater Christ-likeness, of that person moving from not even knowing Jesus to becoming more and more like him, overcoming their own shortfalls and sin. God will do this transformational work as he chooses, and it's our choice to respond to that invitation. And to be more specific, God will use someone or several someones to help transformation occur. Essential to this divine process is our acknowledgement that because we have a bent towards choosing what's wrong, unholy, and bad, rather than what's right, holy, and good, we need to let Jesus reign in our life and let him make those decisions for us. As Rudolf Boltman put it, discipleship is the surrender of one's own judgment. I just thought it'd be cool to quote Rudolf Boltmann in a children's ministry book. <laughs> I found the following idea helpful for understanding how this process works. And you can see the graphic for it in on my blog. Girls and boys need to learn the truth, put into practice what they learn, and become more like Jesus as they do. It's to know, to do, to be. You can see the, the graphic for it again on, um, it's called The Learning Cycle in this week's blog. And it works something like this. A child learns what we, that we can talk to God. It's an idea. We can say thank you and I love you. We can say it to God and we can ask him to forgive us when we do things that aren't right. We can also ask him to help us with problem. And this activity is called prayer, Luke 11. And this is knowledge. Prayer remains merely head knowledge until the children ask themselves and actually speak to God to do something, to do. When children do pray, they experience the peace and joy of prayer and they want to learn more about it, more knowledge. More important, children want to try it again. As they pray and see God answer their prayers, praying at bedtime starts to become a a habit, a, a do, a repetitive do. And at some point, that habit starts spilling into other parts of the day. And more teaching may come at that point. Teaching that helps children learn they can constantly be in a posture of communicating before God. After some years, the child can become a person of prayer, speaking with God, listening to Him, and praying is as natural as breathing, and it becomes part of who they are. This process doesn't always begin with knowledge. The process doesn't always go smoothly. And sometimes, for instance, children decide to do something. They give a valued toy to someone who doesn't have any toys without any really real knowledge that they're pleasing Jesus. They later learn what God's Word says about giving, helping others, and loving with our actions. The point is, making disciples addresses knowing, doing, and being. 
Discipleship is not just knowing the truth. It's not just doing and working. And it's not just being a good person. Knowing, doing, and being all function together in the transformation of a child into Christ-likeness. An effective children's ministry, therefore, addresses all three areas with the goal of making disciples of girls and boys in every nation of this world. And finally, the church in North America generally associates discipleship with growing in Christ-likeness on the generally pleasant road of spiritual transformation. But when we read the New Testament, we find ample teaching about disciples following in Christ's suffering. In the Gospel accounts, suffering and even persecution are closely associated with being a disciple. And in many areas of the world, the cost of discipleship is significant. Although some children in the United States may be rejected or mocked because of their faith in Jesus, in many American churches, the idea of persecution is quite removed from the process of boys and girls becoming Christ's disciples. I would be remiss if I didn't tell you that persecution for their faith is a harsh reality for many children around the world. Susanna was the 11-year-old daughter of an evangelical pastor in a church in Upper Egypt. Gifted by God to share Christ with Muslims, her father had led many young Muslims to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. As a result, Muslim fundamentalists in the city bitterly opposed Susanna's father. Susanna had accepted Christ as her Savior when she was nine. Since then, she had followed Christ and even been involved in her father's ministry work. Ministry had taken Susanna and her father to a conference in Cairo, Egypt, and at the end of the conference, they left Cairo for the long drive home, planning to arrive late in the evening. Muslim fanatics in their hometown, however, got wind of their travel plans and set up a checkpoint on the only road into town from Cairo. When Susanna and her father drove up to the checkpoint in the late evening, they were dragged from their car in the darkness, beaten, and left on the side of the road. The beating took Susanna's life, and her father was hospitalized. Her much too short life of discipleship ended in martyrdom. Discipleship for girls and boys in many countries can mean literally losing their life for Jesus' sake. Their denying themselves and taking up their cross is a real-life experience, not a spiritual metaphor. Well, ending our podcast on discipleship with a story like Susanna's is a real downer, especially for the many Americans who understand the Christian life as victorious. In my years of ministry experience, however, I have found that children are not put off by the challenges of following Jesus. Years ago, we had finished an evangelistic outreach at a church in Kilpway, Chile. After the assembly, as we were walking to the administrative office, a little boy came up and tugged at my elbow. Through my translator, he told me that he had wanted to come forward and give his life to Christ, but had been too nervous. When he asked me if it was too late, I assured him, with the help of my Chilean pastor friend translating, that it was not. When the little boy told me there were more like him, we stepped into a small, empty classroom and were followed by over 30 children. Our team stood in the back, and I was in front with the Chilean pastor, 
who was translating for me, and in my great spiritual discernment, (laughs) not, (laughs) I wondered if the children were there primarily for the novelty of talking to an American. I presented the simple message of salvation as I had done earlier in the assembly. Then I decided to make clear the cost of following Jesus in Chile. Knowing Chile to be strongly Roman Catholic, I I explained that the children to the children that friends, teachers, and even family members might challenge them about their faith. After I elaborated a bit and explained that following Jesus was not easy, I concluded by pointing out that Jesus' original followers faced countless troubles. When I glanced at my fellow team members in the back of the room, they looked horrified. (laughs) At that point... I asked if any of the children still wanted to pray the sinner's prayer and commit to following Jesus. Every child in the room shot up their hand. Thankfully, my Chilean colleague had nuanced my message and then prayed with those children. Later, one of the EGM board members told me that if he had heard my message when he was young, he might not have responded so positively. Children all over the world are waiting and ready to follow Jesus, even in the face of challenges. I've seen that personally in Eastern Europe, Latin America, Africa, India, and the Middle East. They're just waiting for someone to come and share the good news that they can have a life-changing discipleship relationship with Jesus Christ and his people. Thanks for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you again next week. If you like what you hear, feel free to share this podcast with another children's worker in your church or in your community. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Our next Five Smooth Stones podcast will be this same time next week. To learn more about life-changing children's ministry, check out the EGM Institute website at www.egminstitute.org.